electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, Brian, thank you very much. And tonight on Fast, breaking down the banks after a strong post-earnings pop, the major money centers all paired early gains, what the action tells us and what a dire warning from Jamie Dimon might mean for the market. Plus, ensuring gains. The chart master hunting for opportunity in a couple of areas of the market we don't normally talk much about. He'll make the case for why you should feel safe in these stocks now. And later, look what you made her do. Demand for Taylor Swift's era tours movie so high that she took her blockbuster to the big screen a day early. And she could rake in hundreds of millions of dollars for the effort. Is there any other star that could do the same? Is there a better business person in entertainment than Taylor? We'll break it all down. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson, in for Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. On the desk tonight, we've got Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Carter Worth. Gentlemen, welcome. Great to be with all of you, even if it is only remotely. We start with the big money center banks uh, retreating from a post-earnings pop earlier in the day. Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, and BlackRock uh, delivering beats, uh, but their stocks ended the day mixed. Wells up a little bit, JPM up a little bit, the others down. And J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon may have something to do with it. Dimon telling investors in a statement today, quote, this may be the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades, citing the Ukraine and Israel-Hamas war as major risks to global markets. The major indexes sliding in the final hours of trading today. The Nasdaq down more than 1%. The S&P falling a half percent. The Dow ended the day virtually unchanged. Small gain, 39 points there. So what is the bottom line on this first batch of bank earnings today with many more coming next week? How is it rippling through uh, the rest of the market? Who wants to go first? I'm going to ask you, Steve, how do you see these bank earnings and how do you think it tees up next week and the market more broadly. Well, if you started off the week, Tyler, everyone said, don't buy the financials, don't buy the banks. At least we had a good performance out of them. They all, by and large, beat uh, J.P. Morgan, usually runs the day. Today was no exception to that. Also, Jamie is very negative on macro a lot. Uh, We talk about Storms, categories, uh, you know, of hurricanes analogous to the uh, to the economy. But when you look at the macro environments now, I, I tend to agree with him. I've never felt this negative about geopolitical uh, events. I don't think anyone on this desk in, in our trading uh, lifetime. We had our 9-11. Israel is having theirs. But this seems bound to get out of control, Uh, energy prices, inflation. It seems like it's a potpourri, if you will. Negative Mm -hmm. events constantly getting worse. But as far as the financials are concerned, everyone thought that they're they're on, on the cusp of falling into an abyss. I don't think we're seeing that. I think the stocks perform well. 
on the one hand, Steve makes the point that Diamond uh, and, and sort of agrees with Diamond that that the uh, that the world situation is is very uh, precarious right now. Uh, but Tim Seymour, at the same time, uh, the the fundamentals of the banking business look pretty good, and J.P. Morgan uh, really went flipped from predicting uh, a recession to saying no recession coming, not this year, not in 2024. And no storm clouds. Uh, first of all, Tyler, great to have you. And nice I, I agree. It's almost as if Jamie Dimon on the front page of the newspaper, you're reading uh, the, the geopolitics. But on the turn over to the financial page and, and look at J.P. Morgan's numbers and look how they blew away consensus. And if you actually uh, they were I don't know, close to 478, uh, if you remove some one off items, net interest income, credit, uh, fee income. Uh, and we knew investment banking was down. So uh, the biggest money center bank, the biggest bank in the world, the highest quality balance sheet the one that trades uh, more than double price to tangible book value than a Citibank is is you know, the one that I think had pretty good, good uh, certainly good insight into their core business. Now, Jamie has, Steve alluded to this at times, really been uh, cautious on talking about the, the, the macro and talking about the world and talking about storm clouds ha- hovering over. Um, the market doesn't believe the banks here. It's really clear. We closed on the lows of J.P. Morgan, uh, finished up one and a half percent. But uh, and it has outperformed the other money center banks. But I I just don't think uh, until we start to really get some sense of where the economy is going to settle in, banks are going to have a tough time trading here. Guy, jump in here. On the one hand, the uh, the profits were quite good. On the other hand, several of the banks point to slowing loan originations and rising charge offs. So how do you look at these numbers and and put them into the, the mental computer for next week and beyond? I'd like to answer your Taylor Swift question. The question was, who is a bigger media star? The answer is obvious. It's, it's Tyler Matheson, number one. Oh, I think we could all agree on that. Uh, my many In eras, terms of the banks. I've had, I've had more eras than Taylor has, let me tell you. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Um, in terms of the banks, I don't think they traded particularly well. I mean, Citibank has been awful, closed lower on the day. Bank of America, I know they didn't report. I mean, that stock's been grim death, closed lower on the day. J.P. Morgan sold off pretty considerably from the high they put in early in the day. And Wells Fargo sort of it has been muddling along. So, listen, I understand the want to be in banks on valuation and all those things, but I think the landscape for them is not particularly good. Loan loss provisions are going to go up. Loan origination is going to go down. You know, delinquency rates are probably going higher. And this bond market, quite frankly, the only people that seemingly navigated it well was J.P. Morgan. And there are articles now coming out about Bank of America that we have been talking about for months, how they've basically, you know, I don't want to say screwed the pooch, but since it's Friday, screwed the pooch. You just did. You did. Go ahead. We're all friends here. You know, the one thing I love most uh, about Carter Worth's shot, apart from R2-D2 over his right shoulder, (laughs) is the fact that he's got a clock. So I will always know what time it is and how much time I'm eating up with my verbose questions. Carter, what do you make of the banks? Yeah, you bet. A clock will keep us all on track. You know, I think the thing is this. There is no such thing in principle as good or bad news. There's only news. And then, of course, the reaction in the market tells us. Often we see a stock that beats, guides up, increases the dividend, but it goes down. And so then it couldn't have been good news. It was bad news. And that is the case today. Uh, Guy referred to this, uh, Tim, uh, Steve. I mean, we have an issue where it wasn't good because the BKX index 
of 24 stocks, four were up, the rest were down, and today, consider this, the BKX made all-time relative lows since its inception in 1992 to the S&P 500. So you're talking about an index that basically right now is all-time underperformance lows versus the general equity market going back 30 years. These are not good businesses, and uh, I don't want to be long them here, and I don't want to be long them in general. And I see Steve Grasso nodding a little bit there. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there is a difference. I guess I guess I should have probably pointed this out. If you want to, Tyler, more and more people who you talk to don't want to own financials, but they're happy having an allocation to Guy's point uh, in a, a financial name. And the name is always J.P. Morgan. So it's OK to be negative financials. If you have to be long something in your fund, you're probably long J.P. Morgan. But we are pricing these names out as if the, the bad weather is never going to clear, and that's never the case. So, Tim, are you a defender of the banks here? Are you the lone sort of voice defending them a little bit, or am I reading it wrong? You talking, <laughs> talking to me, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, no. So uh, it, it's, it's very difficult for me to point to a world where the consumer is weakening, where, and Jamie pointed this out, I mean, the American consumer continues to borrow and spend. Um, now, for the economy, that's probably the resilience you want to hear about. Uh, but we've talked about the, the burden on the household. And, and so, uh, look, in terms of the top three money center banks that, that I think people are focused on, maybe there's four with Wells Fargo, but, but Citi, Bank of America, J.P. JPM is the clear leader, and it's the clear leader both in terms of the quality of the balance sheet and the resiliency of some of the things that I think are hurting the other banks. Uh, when it comes to provisions, when it comes to credit, when it comes to profile, um, JP Morgan deserves the premium. So back to your question, what am I doing with banks here? Uh, I'm not... I'm not owning them for the divs. And I know that that, you know, Carter's pointed out the, the relative underperformance, which is almost shocking. Um, we had gotten to a place as we came really out of COVID where banks were not only commercial and industrial loans were growing, they were paying divs. Their capital strategy was one that was they were giving back uh, capital to investors. Between SVB and between the provisions, that's halted stop. I don't think the dividends will stop, um, but I can own J.P. Morgan through this. I think it's a, it's a great franchise. I, I think you get to a place where Citibank is so cheap, you can own it here, and that's where it's been. I own it 20% higher, though, uh, and it's been a frustrating ride. All right, let's uh, let's move on to uh, talk a little bit more about bonds. Our next guest says another big bond move is coming, and let's bring in Damped Spring Advisors CEO Andy Constant. Andy, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thanks, Tyler. What's that big move? Which way and why? So, you know, about uh, last time I was on in, in August, we talked about the uh, announcement of the issuance of long-term bonds, and that set the tone for the bond market for the last uh, two months. Um, since then, we've also had strong economic data, um, and it's possible that uh, that data may encourage the Fed to actually follow through with their hike. But with data out of the way, with the non-farm payrolls and CPI out of the way, um, the next big bond move isn't likely until the Halloween quarterly refunding announcement. And at that announcement, there is going to be a large deficit that needs to be financed. And Secretary Yellen holds the lever on whether she continues to issue the bonds that she did in August or shifts back to issuing bills. My 
senses, she will continue on the path of terming out the financing of the federal deficit debt, and that will mean large quantities of bonds. But regardless, we've had a 55 basis point increase in term premiums on bonds, and that's a big move. And so the next slug of bonds that the market has to absorb will uh, likely, not, likely not make quite as big an impact, more on the, on the uh, level of 10 to 20 basis points. So, okay, so, so if, the, if, the, if she's going to go and, as you say, uh, uh, choose to go issue bonds to finance the, the, the piling up of deficit money, and, and it's, it's really shocking how, how much deficit money is needy, need, needs to be financed, that would suggest that interest rates on longer-term securities are going to go up. By how much? Did I hear you say how Let's much? Call it 25 basis points. From where we are now on the on the 10-year, which is what 4.65-ish. Yeah, yeah, and you know I wouldn't be surprised to see five, five and a quarter, particularly with if the economy does sustain this relatively high uh, GDP. So some combination of the economy not yet ready to turn over and this large supply could drive us into the fives on the long term on the 10 year note. What did you make of the inflation numbers yesterday? I mean, they, they were a little higher than I guess anticipated, but a little, just a little. Yeah, I think the most noticeable number was the one that uh, Chairman Powell focuses on uh, the month over month um, core services, ex housing services was 0.61, which was uh, extremely hot, 7.2% on an annualized basis. And that is the number that time and time again, uh, Chairman Powell goes back to as his services um, uh, inflation measure. And it was warm. So, you know, that's, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But, yeah. you know, for now, I'm focused on the next uh, quarterly refunding to see you know, the supply-demand dynamic yeah. more so than the I guess inflation. there'll be more numbers between now and the meeting in November. There could be a lot more geopolitics uh, on the table between now and then. Uh, I wonder how the geopolitics plays into what the Fed might do. But I know uh, Steve Grasso had a question for you. Steve? So, Andy, uh, bonds and, and stocks and the equity market have never been as correlated uh, as they are right now, or I shouldn't say, I should say for a, for a very long time. Do you see a world where where the 10 year can keep rising and the equity market can perform or is that just uh, not possible? So that's not my base case. My base case is that the increase in yields will cause uh, multiples to contract. And, you know, I'm sort of targeting 4000 as a level to catch up with the bond market yield increase through multiple contraction. But at the same time, if the bond market is rallying, it's also possibly true and likely true that the economy remains strong. And that's part of the reason why bond yields are rising, um, which could have a positive on earnings. Unfortunately, earnings, consensus earnings still are for 12% annualized growth for both 2024 and 2025. So, it's tough for me to get there because earnings are already discounted to be very strong and there's this pressure on multiples. You see 4,000 on the uh, S&P. What is the time frame for that? You know, I think there's a, a lot of rhetoric around seasonals. Um, seasonals typically are 
uh, leave the market quite strong. When the market's up 10% or so, like it is, uh, you get a rally into the year end. Um, but that's typically due to the fact that the winners are deferred till next year to be sold to avoid crystallizing a taxable gain. Um, this year is so narrow in its leadership, uh, the taxable gains are so narrow, and uh, the bond market is providing a tremendous amount of capital losses to harvest that I don't think that mm. delayed selling will necessarily occur. And if the, the, the supply and demand is normal, not this deferred sense, uh, the Santa Claus rally is pretty unlikely based on you know, the work I do. All right, Andy, thanks so much for uh, spending Friday evening with us. Andy Constant, we, uh, we appreciate it. Let me turn to you, Guy, and see what your reaction is. Andy thinks that with, with rates rising, multiples per force must contract. Do you agree? Agreed, agreed, and it's great to have him on. He was on a few months ago, spot on. I would differ in one sense that, you know, I think yields, are, well, I agree with him wholeheartedly. I think yields are going higher because, quite frankly, the market's demanding a higher yield to buy our debt, and the incremental buyer is just not there. Japanese aren't buying. They're probably selling because they have to defend their currency. We've talked about that for a while, and obviously the Fed isn't in this game either. So the incremental buyers out there, but rightly so, they want a higher yield to buy yeah. our stuff, and it manifested itself in the Treasury. That auction yesterday was a disaster, and that's one of the reasons the market sold off. So... Yeah, I do think rates go higher. I don't think that's bullish for the market. That was also one of the things Andy pointed out in his notes, that yesterday's auction was a bad auction in a string of bad auctions, so he said. All right, let's go back and talk a little bit about Pfizer because we got a news alert on it. The shares are dropping and sharply after the company slashed guidance for the year. Uh, lots of news in here. The drug maker now expects full-year revenue between 58 to $61 billion. That's down from $66 billion. Earnings per share now expected to come at about a buck forty-five to a buck sixty-five. That's down from three thirty. Pfizer also adding the U.S. government will be returning about eight million doses of Paxlovid at the end of this year. Tim, you are a shareholder of this company. There is a lot of kitchen sink stuff thrown into this statement from Pfizer. Yeah, uh, Tim's Pfizer, by the way. Um, look, this is a case where uh, I, I thought we had priced in the decline of Paxlovid and essentially the commercialization and the government contracts and everything that is a COVID uh, a dynamic that I think was critical for all the success that this stack had when it got up there and touched over $60. Um, this type of a revenue cut, though, tells me I, I don't know where they were on this. I don't you know, it's concerning when you see this kind of an EPS cut. Um, you know, we're talking about a, a significant cut. When you talk about 145 to 165 full year guide, um, this isn't a cheap pharma company. And, and that's really frustrating because this was not uh, at least the, the guide that was in the market that had a lot of bad news already in there on, on where we knew that there was a major pullback in, in, in COVID and, and vaccine dynamics. Right. I think the people out there that are really following the stock also want to hear about uh, CapEx cuts, OpEx cuts, because that's going to deliver. And I know that's not exciting, but in pharma land, there is a lot to save there. Non-cash charge of $5.5 billion to the cost of goods sold uh, due to lower-than-expected utilization for COVID profits, products, excuse me, uh, and, and a uh, uh, $4.6 billion, I think it is, of uh, revenue. Uh, no, $4.2 billion revenue is currently estimated uh, to be reversed there. Carter, thoughts? 
You know, I've done what uh, Tim has done, uh, tried uh, at least twice to step in, play for a bounce. It, it hasn't worked. Consider this. Um, usually it's bad technique to buy things in downtrends. I know it, yet we all sometimes break the rules or make the mistakes. <laughs> but the final thing is, what did they just say? They said their earnings are going to be, what, $1.45 to $1.65? $1.45 to $1.65, yeah. Yeah, 20 years ago in 2003, they earned a buck seventy-five. So here we are, 2023, and they're going to kind of be somewhat a little bit below that. What's it worth? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe a lot lower. All right. Well, I see from your clock it's 5:19. Uh, we're going to go to. Hold a on a sec. Hold on a second, <laughs> yeah, Tyler. Man. Hold What's on. Up? I got to say, I got to say one thing. Do I it. mean, Pfizer's a pretty big company, right? I mean, to do this on a Friday afternoon after the close, I mean, I, I would expect more from senior management at Pfizer. Do it on Monday morning. Do it on Friday morning, but Friday after the clip. No, I'm telling you, it's just ridiculous. I mean, they should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, it's a, it it, yeah. You're right. I mean, it is a it is a Friday afternoon dump, the kind of thing you see from uh, politicians and, and other other places. Uh, let's take a quick break, uh, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about a 24 carat trade coming your way. Gold glistening recently, so should the metal pave the streets of your portfolio? The traders will weigh in on that next. Plus, talk about a moving target, the retailer target notching a bullseye week for a change. But can the run continue if the consumer starts to buckle? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money will be back in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. One safe haven trade uh, worth its weight today. That will be gold shining bright, locking in its best day of the year and climbing more than 5% on the week. Some other commodities like silver oil also showing strength this week. Guy, let's turn to you for some thoughts on gold. Oil is its own animal. Tim can speak to that. Um, But gold is having a day. And we've talked about this now for a while. Carter actually brought this up a couple weeks ago. Tim has talked about it. Central banks last year bought a record amount of gold, 1,221 tons, $70 billion. They're doing the same this year. Effectively, and there was a note out earlier this week talking about things that we've been saying. They're hedging, they being central banks, their own ineptitude. They see what's going on. And now it's starting to manifest itself in the price. IMF's making comments. World Bank's making comments. More, com- more countries trying to get into the BRICS. All these things are a pathway to gold. And it, it feels as though... The market's going to wake up to this. And what I said on the show the other night, and this will not make sense, but the market is not long of gold yet. And that will start to kick in through all-time highs when some of these really big institutions start to get in. And then the party's going to start. But 
Gold, I think, is telling a story, Tyler. It, very, very interesting. I, and I love the phrase, hedging their own ineptitude. Carter? Yeah, well, it's 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 twofold. I mean, for very short-term traders, having moved up uh, $120 an ounce over the past six sessions, uh, you're back to a difficult level. I would trim right calls. Uh, if you have a structural view that uh, all is not well in the world, perhaps Jamie Dimon's view, yeah. you certainly want to have gold as part of your general exposure. Yeah, it would seem that way, Tim. I, and, 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 and obviously Guy believes that this is not just a one-day or a one-week phenomenon, that there, there is a longer-term um, trend here, I guess uh, I'd say. Gold, gold is long cycle investing, okay? There's a lot of gold bugs out there that have been long forever, but there's, you know, to me, uh, we have a mean reversion back, and the move in gold is something that's been building, and it's been, uh, it, it, I think it's correlated with heavily with the dollar. It's correlated heavily with, with the VIX that was up 19% or 15% today. Why do you think gold had the day it had? One of them's telling you something. One's the tail, one's the dog, um, or there may Maybe both the tails. Um, it tells you a lot about the Jamie Dimon comments. Tells you a lot about a world where the, the, the Andy Constantine's comments about Treasury announcements and refunding and dynamics, where we still have a, a government that you know isn't showing up on the House side. So the, this is the reason to own gold. And if you want to own gold, you want to own silver and you want to own other precious metals. And if you look at these charts, uh, the uh, you know, people say, hey, what happened to gold over over the summer? Hey, you know what happened to the gold over the summer was the dollar. The fact that gold traded, I, I think, more or less and held serve uh, is incredibly powerful. If you look at that downtrend um, from earlier in the year, some of that correlates with the dollar move. And, and actually, today's move means you're backing up. You're, you're basically brushing right up to the top of that uptrend, uh, that downtrend and breaking through. All right. We're going to uh, take a quick break. There's a lot more fast to come. And here's what's coming up next. Going on a target run, the retailer notching its best week in months. But as pressures mount for the consumer, can shares keep trained on the bullseye? Plus, to the penny, a pair of twos. You know what's next? The chartmaster is hitting the technicals and giving some assurance to insurance stocks. You're watching Fast Money. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Time for our chart of the week, and there it is. Target bullseye jumping, uh, well, there you see it, week to date, six uh, and two-thirds percent, and taking its gains for the week uh, way up on the day uh, as well. One percent today, uh, six and a half for the week. The retailer notching its best week, by the way, since January. Though it's been a rough year for Target by any stretch, uh, shares are still down nearly 25% this year. So is this a reversal of misfortune for the stock or a temporary show of strength? Which is it, Tim? Well, it's a combination of things that 
Target has underperformed peers on, and there's a there's a discount to Walmart that's I think 11 turns on a PE. Uh, it's a function of some of the the dynamics of what made them so successful during COVID, and and the merchandise mix and the discretionary uh, part of of essentially their goods profile, and in a world where grocery and top line is coming from real consumables and staples, and that's not necessarily been the the Target special sauce. There you go. Um, you look at a six percent outperformance to Walmart on the week. And if you look at Walmart, too, a stock like I, I'm long Walmart. I love it, although I'm significantly less long. Um, and I, I, I think it's you know, it showed some cracks in the last week. Uh, again, outperforming Walmart by six percent. That spread between these two companies is a very interesting spread to trade. Uh, and I think some of the same things that will hurt Walmart, obviously, have hurt Target. Therefore, that's an interesting spread trade here when you've come to uh, essentially a three standard deviation move of one versus the other. Steve, your thoughts? Yeah, we're not a political show, but you got to stay out of politics if you're a corporation. Uh, you're going to offend 50% of, of the people, no matter which side you take. So Tim talked about Target's outperformance with Walmart this week. That was impressive. I think it's a short-term bounce. I'll switch gears and go to Costco. Costco membership, those fees are like an annuity for the company. They have outperformed Walmart, Target. If you look across the board, whether it's one month, three months, year to date, or full year, they have outperformed the space. I, they continue to outperform the space. Yeah, and as you point out, that uh, membership fee is really an annuity. It is just a stream of income that keeps on on coming. All right, coming up, keep an eye on insurance stocks. Yes, you heard me right, insurance. The chart master digging into the group's technicals so you can give your portfolio some protection. Plus. Earnings season just getting started. Uh, and with mega cap names gearing up to report next week, we're going to bring you some big action from the options pits, the details when Fast Money returns. Look at that list of companies that will be reporting next week. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Stocks falling as Wall Street wrapped up this very volatile week. The S&P down a half percent. The Nasdaq, though, falling more than one percent. The Dow squeezed out a very small gain, as you see there. Shares of Boeing dropping more than three percent after the plane maker said it is continuing to investigate quality issues affecting its uh, 737 MAX aircraft, a vexed aircraft. Boeing down more than 20 percent over the last two months. And Birkenstock losing another three percent in today's session, adding to a very rough first week for the sandal maker. That stock down nearly 10 bucks below its IPO price. Mm. Meanwhile, insurance stocks have been on a tear since their summer lows, closing in on their highs of the year. So where's the group going next? The chart master has a technical tale of a group that's much more than a pair of twos. Carter. You bet. Well, if you were just look at the top three performers in the S&P 500 index today, two of them were insurers, Allstate and Progressive. Uh, let's go right to the charts. What we know is that there was an earnings-related breakout, and you can see that, that here in Progressive. And so if we, if we step back and look at the whole group, there's the S&P 500 sub-industry group known as insurance. It has everyone you know from Met and Prue to the Hartford, Allstate, Travelers, Aflac. And this chart here has no annotations. Let's put some on. And what we have is the 
perfect setup for a breakout similar to what we just saw in progressive today. So well-defined tops at a common level are coming from higher low, higher low, higher low tension for a breakout. And two names to look at, I think, that will do just that. Um, first, here's AIG, uh, again, toying with important uh, levels. And then also Lowe's, uh, symbol L. Uh, there's a great action here. We are um, showing a tremendous relative performance to the banks and to the financial sector overall. It's a very big and important area of the market. And again, as you say, Tyler, one we don't speak of a lot. Yeah, and, and uh, Steve, you know, when I think of insurance, I think of rates going up, and that's what's happening. Yeah, and, and when you look at the charts uh, that Carter just picked out, Progressive had the, the nicest chart where, where Carter early on in the show said, you know, when momentum is to the downside, we all think we're going, it's going to be different this time. Well, it's the, the flip side of that. On the way up, Progressive's chart really looks pretty impressive. I would pick that chart over everything else that, that he showed on the screen, although I do like the precarious spot that, that he mentioned that AIG is in. So it's sort of a make or break moment on the level on AIG, but Steady Eddie seems to be progressive to me. You know, guy, get your thoughts on insurance, but one just quick observation. You can't go three minutes watching an NFL game without seeing an ad for an insurance company. I don't care who it is, whether it's Progressive or Allstate or, or, or State Farm. Or Taylor Swift. Or Taylor Swift. You can't go three minutes without seeing Taylor. <laughs> guy Adami. Yeah, I changed the channel. <laughs> when she's on. But you're right about the insurance. I mean, they print money. And then the higher interest rates, these, these companies have been waiting a decade for this, and now they're getting it. And they have serious tailwinds. And Carter's right. I mean, Chubb is the one that I would look at, CB, reasonable valuation, decent EPS growth rate for an insurance company. And I think <laughs> this stock is poised to take out that prior all-time high, which we saw, I want to say, I don't know, a year or so ago. I might be off. But Valuation's compelling. I think they report at the end of the month. Yeah, I think uh, one of them next week, I think, is Travelers. I, I'm not sure, Tim. What do you think of these uh, stocks as a group? Well, a a AIG reports uh, in, in a couple weeks, and uh, they've beat significantly the last two quarters. And guys mentioning something, uh, do not underestimate net interest income and where they've been able to uh, essentially reinvest fixed maturities, longer-end stuff. Um, it's Remember when they were investing at negative real rates, and, and the world has changed dramatically. So um, while some of the liability and casualty and property dynamics that have gone on with the thousand-year storms and some of the events we've seen. Um, the other side of this is their, their income statement, and, and it, it's an extraordinary time to be investing in longer-term fixed maturities and to be able to reposition further out. All right, uh, Tim, thanks very much. You know, we're going to take a quick break because these guys make me run real fast and I'm tired. Uh, coming up, uh, we've only got, gotten started with third quarter earnings. There you see some of the ones that are next week. There's Travelers in the, right in the middle there, Comerica as well. Uh, Tesla, Netflix, Broadcom, more on the calendar for, net, net for next week. And we're going to dive into the option pits to find out what traders expect from these names. And CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage. Here's the chief supply chain officer of Colgate Palmolive. What others can learn from my journey is that if an industrial engineer from a factory in Brazil can become the chief supply chain officer of Colgate Palmolive, then it means that anyone can, can not only achieve but go beyond their dreams. Be proud of your heritage, be proud of your identity. At the end, those are your superpowers. What you bring with you from your country is really what defines you as a professional as a, and as a human being.
Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Huge slate of earnings next week uh, from Bank of America and Tesla and everywhere in between. Options traders betting on fireworks when a couple of those names report. Mike Coe joins us now with the action. You've got several that uh, you're looking at uh, starting, I believe it is with uh, Tesla. Good place to yeah, start. Well, we can't really, yeah, we can't talk about stock options without talking about Tesla. It's basically the busiest single stock option every single day. And it was busier than usual today. It traded 25% above average volume. That may, it may not sound like a lot, but that amounts to two and a half million contracts. Right now, the options market's implying a move of about 6% higher or lower after they report earnings by the end of next week. And that's actually less than some of the moves that we've seen recently. However, at least one trader is betting to the downside. They are buying the December 245 puts. They were paying just over 16 bucks for that. So obviously betting that it's going to be below 229 by December expiration. All right, let's move on and uh, lay out your case here on uh, uh, telephone. T. Yeah, so, you know, AT&T, obviously, this is a, a hard hit stock. It's not trading that far off uh, the bottom here. Right now, the options market's implying a move of about uh, 5% in in this one. Last move really wasn't very big, but the six prior quarters, we did see some pretty sharp moves. At least one trader seems to be betting that this actually could be a turning point. We saw a purchase of the January 15 call. Somebody paid 50 cents for uh, over 3,300 of those. 50 cents may not sound like a lot, but that's 3.5% of the current stock price. An important thing to think about, too, with AT&T is that they also have a dividend, a big dividend payer coming up before January expiration. All right. And the final one you're going to take us through is Broadcom. Yeah, so Broadcom, uh, you know, their earnings cycle is a little bit different, but they're actually going to be participating in a uh, in a conference next week. Now, this stock was up 4.6% this week, but the options prices are actually fairly depressed, implying a move of about 3.6% next week. And it looks like some traders are taking advantage of the fact that those options prices are low. The stock hit an all-time high. And around that time, we saw some purchases of the October 950 calls for about $3.74 a contract. That would represent another all-time high. So perhaps they're expecting some good news out of that conference. All right, Mike, there, there's Mike's cases on those stocks. Guy, what are you, how do you react? Yeah, Broadcom's interesting. Jim Cramer had a note, you know, the VMware deal looks like China approval. It, it, do you look at Broadcom, it looks expensive because it's a $900 stock, but valuation-wise, actually, it's reasonable, especially when you compare it to some of these other names in the space. So this is a stock that's had a tremendous run, but quite frankly, given the valuation, I think they report in December, to Mike's point, this can continue to do the slow grind higher. Tim, what do you think? Well, I'll talk a little bit about AT&T. I'll talk more broadly uh, about the wireless folks, where you're actually seeing really solid trends, uh, very low churn, uh, very solid post-paid uh, ads, and, and AT&T still trailing T-Mobile by a lot. And who reports two weeks out, but AT&T next week. I, I will say that uh, the competitive landscape seems to have calmed down a bit, but again, people are holding onto their phones longer. Uh, there's less pressure. The fact that churn rates are so low, I think, really favors T-Mobile, who's stolen so much business from everybody. Uh, but again, for AT&T, uh, we've talked about that chart. We've talked about some recovery here off of really a dismal show. But it's going to be a decent quarter in the core business. Steve, how about you? I'll go to Tesla since uh, the other gentleman co covered the other two. Tesla, you know, everyone's worried about deliveries. But what we've, what we've seen in the last couple of uh, weeks slash months, Tyler, is their ability to avoid the UAW. So that is a tailwind. Tesla's sitting around its 50 uh, and 100 days, is sitting right there. 
But when you look at how they dominate the charging space right now, everyone has signed on to their charging standard. Just wait until they flip the switch and they'll figure out how to monetize that. That will be a massive, massive tailwind for Tesla. I could not agree with you more. I, the fact that everybody's going their direction, <clears throat> going to use their chargers, uh, you're going to see usage pick up a great deal there. I think that's an absolutely excellent point. All right, gentlemen, uh, up next it is. I know I, Guy is really excited about this. It's Taylor time. Well, this weekend's flood of Swifties to the box office kicked off a new era of opportunity for theaters, studios, maybe even music artists, or is Taylor's concert movie just a one-hit wonder? Stay, stay, stay around for this conversation after the break. More fast. We're going to do selfies, right, right? Let's do some selfies. We'll be back in two. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. The hotly anticipated Taylor Swift, The Era's Tour concert film, officially hitting theaters right now with media analysts expecting it to smash records for concert movie opening weekends. The film raking in $2.8 million in previews last night. Now, that figure may look small compared with other blockbuster debuts, but it represents just about a day's worth of sales after Swift announced the last-minute showings just late on Wednesday. Probably did it just on her Instagram account, whatever she uses. Our next guest calls the film's debut a massive endorsement of the movie theater experience. We'll find out why from Paul DeGarabedian, senior media analyst at Comscore. I've got to start, however, by pointing out, yes. Paul, that Taylor needs the money. I mean, she, it's, it's expensive to go to these Kansas City Chief games. It's got to be rough. I mean, it's just an unbelievable phenomenon here, Tyler. I mean, to have this is I call this innovation answering the call of the marketplace because, look, this movie was announced at the end of August. And here it is, middle of October. And it looks like I, our, our comp score data up to the minute, we're showing right now $31 million today. You add to that the 2.8 million, as you uh, pointed out at the top of the show, uh, at 2.8 million, that's 34 million already. We could be looking at a $40 million Friday. These are blockbuster movie numbers. And this is Taylor Swift just bringing her massive social put, uh, footprint and influence to bear. It really is quite remarkable and it is a mandate in front of, in favor, I should say, of the movie theater experience. I'll get to that in just a minute. How much is yeah. Taylor Swift when all is said and done? What is the revenue split here? Who gets how much and how much is she likely to make? Well, AMC is a partner in this and, and really it was sort of a DIY approach uh, with Taylor Swift going directly to AMC. There are other theater chains showing the movie. Uh, a traditional movie, it ends up being about a 50-50 split. In this case, it's going to be a little bit different. You know, and we're in uncharted territory here. So we don't know the I've seen reported splits of a 47 percent and 43 percent. And then there's other profit participants. But at the end of the day, this is going to mean hundreds of millions of dollars for Swift, not to mention the halo effect that this movie is going to have on all her merchandise, music, her concert tour, which hmm. will be international. Uh, she'll be going out again on tour in November, I believe. So this is a win-win for the industry. So you say this is important yeah. for theaters, for the theater experience. Explain the yeah. reasoning there. Is it just that it brings people in and they'll see what's upcoming or what? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And if you look at the Barbenheimer phenomenon, and I'm sure 
Taylor Swift and her team, that was not lost on them. How that became a phenomenon, why? Because it was in a movie theater. If those two movies, Oppenheimer and Barbie, had been released on streaming, and I love streaming, by the way, but it would not have become a cultural phenomenon. A movie, the movie theater is a hub of influence. And I think that you'll see that. And by the way, fans are being encouraged to break protocol, movie uh, theater attending protocol, the, the how you act in a theater. You're being encouraged to dance in the aisles, to sing along, mm. to exchange friendship bracelets and the like. So I think theater owners are bracing for this, but they're certainly happy because this just adds more content, Is there, more box office to the bottom line. I know Beyonce has something like this coming along. That's right. Is there, beyond Beyonce, is there anybody else who could do this? That's the key question. And Beyonce, her Renaissance tour will be in theaters on December 1st. That was announced on October 1st. That's, again, very quick turnaround. These artists are able to go through the marketing channel of their own social media to make a massive impression on potential moviegoers. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, it's hard to name artists beyond maybe on one, you know, one hand uh, that could do this. I mean, Swift is and Beyonce, yeah. they operate in an orbit all their own. They, they're not uh, subject to the usual laws of gravity. So I, would, I don't know, though, beyond yeah. this, how many stars could do this. Yeah, I would love to do a documentary on Taylor Incorporated because it, is a, go. good, it is a good business. Paul DeGarabedian, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Tim, I, I, I don't want to be snarky uh, at all. It's not no, my you style. Don't. It's not but, your way. But what's no. the over-under on the Kelsey Swifty... Uh, Relationship. I wish them all the luck in the world. I hope oh, they're both happy. I mean, they they're they're made in heaven. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm not. I I can't. Did they get oh, to week 17? I, look, I, I I can't wait to see them on the newlywed game. All right, let's 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 hope for that. That's going to break the bank too. Um, let's let's. Let's talk about, though, that, you know, AMC is down 80 percent from the moment this was even before this was or before it was announced and enduring today's type of news. So I don't think this changes the the the, the matrix for theaters. But they're, we'll see. They're playing our song, but it's not a Swift song. All right. Up next, some final trades. We'll be right back. Time for some quick final trades. Let's go around the horn. Tim, you first. Tyler, thank you for joining us. Slumberger, we got to see this week where energy still has major global structural issues. All right, Steve, you're next. Tapestry basically lost 40% of its value after announcing its takeout of Capri. It's time for that to end. TPR. Oh, wow. All right, Carter, you next. Playing for peak in rates, buying TLT. TLT and Guy, bring us home. You're sexy. AEM, <laughs> Tyler. AEM. Thanks for watching Fast Money. You've been fast. Now, get mad. Kramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.